Welcome to Here Comes Yesterday, a weekly 15-minute podcast full of useful memories for dealing with the world ahead with your host, Frank Corrado. When I saw her again after more than a decade absence, she looked pretty much the same. Maybe a little heavier, certainly a little older, but the sparkle in Carol's eyes, well, that was still there. She had been retired for a while. She'd spent a lot of her career in government service, first in Washington, D.C. with the old Department of Health, Education, and Welfare in the 60s, and then with the EPA starting in the 70s. I'd spent some time with her because I was head of the Chicago Public Affairs Office for EPA and had had lots of interaction with the home office during those exhilarating but hectic startup years in the early 70s. What I hadn't known about Carol was that long before she retired, she'd bought an old farm in Buckingham County, due west of Richmond, Virginia, and a couple hours southwest of D.C. And by the time I'd caught up with her, she'd pretty much melded into rural life. Buckingham County is in the dead center of Virginia, in the Piedmont area. It's sparsely populated with old-time farms dating back to Revolutionary War times. West Farm was named after the original owner some generations back. It had a lovely old white colonial building with a new brick addition. It was 100 feet back or so from a gravel road, and uh, the drive was filled with oak trees. Carol rented out her back pasture for cattle raising, and behind that pasture was a man-made pond in a summer, summer cabin. The reason I'd come out to visit Carol was that a colleague of mine from EPA days, also Daphne, she and I had been talking quite a bit in the 90s about starting a business to manufacture clothing for bird watchers. Daphne, in retirement, had embraced birding seriously and was spending more and more time traveling to remote spots, both in the U.S. and abroad, starting to build an impressive life list, as birders call the tally of birds they've seen. Daphne had been complaining for quite a while about the lack of suitable clothing for people who do bird watching. In the 90s were a fertile time for entrepreneurs, and things just started coming together. She and Carol had been friends for quite a while, and Carol and her daughter had taken over, ironically, publishing a birding magazine, the National Bible for Bird Watchers. Beyond those connections, Daphne and I were going to need space for the storing of clothing and other items that were going to be featured in our upcoming catalog. Carol had the space, and she wanted to be part of the venture, so that was the scene as we pulled up on a late, warm spring day. After greetings and a quick tour, it seemed to me that rural living had adapted to Carol rather than the other way around. And even though I had the feeling that I'd walked into an old southern plantation, the building inside was thoroughly modern Millie. The kitchen had been updated because it was an important place for Carol, who loved to entertain. A skilled older local lady, Betty, was always on hand to help when guests were expected. Also, the kitchen was Carol's hangout. It's where I first, though, got in touch with products that decades later would become kitchen stables among foodies. Things like 
steel-cut Irish oats. In her very large living room, there was a grand piano, hi-fi speakers as large as a chair, and grand opera playing through them. Having grown up in the working-class neighborhoods of Chicago, this was all pretty impressive, this mix of farm and country chateau. In the upstairs rooms, there were offices for Birding Magazine, where Carol and her daughter, she had a number of children spread out across the world, they would put together the monthly magazine, or bi-monthly magazine. This kind of already built operation was going to be perfect for a catalog startup of clothing, binoculars, field books, and things like that that we were planning. The focal point of the big house, however, was the colonial-style dining room, where a, a large table was flanked by the kitchen on one end and a lively fireplace on the other. Carol was quite the whiz with dinner parties, and our visit was a good reason as any to hold one of those dinner parties, wherein the usual local suspects would be rounded up to celebrate our arrival and to listen to uh, our plans for the future at West Farm. My assigned sleeping spot for the visits we made was in a dormer atop the large garage next door. I came to love that space because in spring and summers, when the windows could be opened, I could hear country sounds, cows, wildlife, birds, put me to sleep real fast. Also in that room above the garage, which had served as her bedroom before climbing the stairs became difficult, I got to rummage through bookcases and old pictures nearby that provided a glimpse into her family's history. I did know a little bit. She was raised in Cincinnati society in a time when there really was such a thing as society. One of her close childhood buddies was Jimmy Gamble, as in Procter and Gamble. There were pictures of children's parties and plays and all those things that were the stuff of society in early 20th century America. There also were scholarly journals on Virginia history. I came to learn later that she had received a master's in fine arts from Bennington College. I would engross myself in local history as a way to fall asleep there. And when I would look up on the ceiling, I could see glow-in-the-dark stars and moons that someone had pasted above the bed, probably for the little grandkids. Another interesting part of Carol's past had been that she was a member of an unusual American religion, the Swedenborgians. She'd also been a national board member and even into her 90s was working on a history of the organization, which in its heyday had a, a very large membership of upscale professionals like architects and businessmen. This was mostly during the 19th century. It pretty much disappeared after that. A favorite memory was accompanying her to the Art Institute of Chicago's library collection, where in white gloves, we handled some correspondence of the city's famous planner, Daniel Burnham, also a Swedenborgian. As we journeyed from D.C. to Washington for various activities while we were setting up the business, by the way, it was called Big Pockets, because the pockets in the clothing would be large enough to hold binoculars and books and things. On those trips, Daphne would instruct me in history and culture of the area. We would drive down through Charlottesville, where she had been born and raised. 
Daphne's father had been a professor of medicine at the University of Virginia and had found an English bride while serving in World War II London. As their one child, Daphne had grown up in Charlottesville, went east to Smith College in Yale to study public health, and worked at EPA where she met both Carol and me. That trek to Dillwyn, Virginia in Buckingham County went through towns like Orange and Culpeper and Fork Union, towns I might have heard of maybe from Civil War history. Daphne's mother, Vivian, accompanied us on the first trip there, and I caused a bit of a stir when I decided to push Vivian in her wheelchair down a country lane to visit some neighbors. Carol's children, I think she had five, had all grown up and spent happy times at the farm. When you crossed the cow pasture, you came upon a fence that, when opened, led down a trail to a man-made pond where the family had built a summer retreat, which I got to enjoy on those really hot Virginia days I was there. The farm was not far from the James River, so tubing was also available, which we did and I loved. Carol ran her Downton Abbey-like estate, well actually it was pre-Downton Abbey, as with a British sensibility. The highlight for me from the first were the dinner parties, often held at the, for the slightest reason, like when we were out of towners and as someone who knows country life from having spent a lot of years in Michigan, country life can be pretty boring, so I can understand why dinner parties were important. Our visits triggered serious advanced preparations. Betty would be summoned to cook a delicious southern meal of fried chicken, maybe. Wood would be brought in for the fireplace. Silver would be polished. The good tablecloths would be ironed. Tapers would be sorted. Locals would be notified of their expected presence. Conversation was lively. The wine flowed freely. Carol was in her element. One of my favorite souvenirs was a homemade program she whipped up for Thanksgiving weekend a couple years before her passing. It was actually a schedule of events. It included welcome drinks, dinner times, free time, games, so on. Who the heck does that kind of weekend planning anymore? People get together and watch TV or put something on the barbecue. When Carol passed in 2016, I knew that an era was gone. West Farm was sold. It was over. The kind of world Jay Gatsby had inhabited back in the 20s, the kind of 50s world John Cheever wrote about, a genteel world of eastern seaboard people, where manners and refinement mattered and people celebrated wit and clever conversation, a world where politics was vanished from the dinner table and people weren't yet rude enough to be constantly petting their cell phones. It was a world I'd read about as a boy and saw disappear as a man. As I was writing this podcast, just for the heck of it, I looked for a little eulogy I'd written at a death. I sent it to a couple friends, but nothing ever was done with it, but I'd like to share it with you now. Well, there goes the life of the party. Now what are we going to do? The great cocktail hours, the amazing dinner parties, the superb quality of life that we rubbed up against when we were in her orbit. The crazy mix of people that gathered at West Farm again and again. What now? All that energy, all that joie de vivre, that farm girl from Dillwyn with class. 
a risk taker who fell in love with people and their schemes and followed them through. A woman who always thought the best of us, even when we knew we didn't measure up. She was somebody who knew the good parts and the good stuff of life and the lessons of love and knew how to share them with anyone nearby. Carol, I learned so much from you, even when you weren't there. Like when I was getting ready to nod off up there in the little garret above the garage and unable to because the room was filled with great books and magazines and photos of relatives. I could see inside your mind and soul and I knew the heart of someone who knew the best outpourings of the human spirit. Your wonderful mind that was forever young and inquiring. Why did you have to go? It was all so wonderful. Save some place up there so we can all get together again, friends and families and motley fools, and then the party can go on. Love you, girl. That's it for today. By the way, if you like this podcast, tell somebody. This is Mel Zellman. Thank you for listening. And catch us next time.